If you've been waiting for just the right time to buy an electric bike from Rad Power Bikes, this one is for you. Now, through the end of August, save up to $400 on select e-bike models and up to 30% off of select accessories at radpowerbikes.com slash war on cars. With a 14-day free trial and flexible financing options, you can start riding your own e-bike for less than the cost of a single tank of gas. And Rad will ship your bike for free. Again, for up to $400 off on select e-bikes and 30% off of accessories, visit radpowerbikes.com slash war on cars. Now through the end of August. I think it all comes back to separating riding bikes for fitness and riding bikes for pleasure or enjoyment or transportation. People can ride bikes for any reason they want to, and I want to empower them to do it. But also at the same time, if you're not riding bikes and you're not out moving your body, that's also fine. It's not my job or anybody else's job to tell you how to live your life. This is The War on Cars. I'm Sarah Goodyear, and with me are my co-hosts, Doug Gordon and Aaron Napperstack. Hey, guys. Hello. All right. Good to see you all. Likewise. Yeah, it's 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 been too long. Seriously. It's been a long time. Good to be back in the studio, even though half of us are on Zoom. That's right. Yeah. Aaron is remote. We have adopted a new constitution and a new line of command that there must be one designated survivor of the war on cars in case something happens to two of us. And today that's Aaron. Yeah. He is remote. Let's hope nothing happens because I just, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I can keep it going without you guys. So You're far from the nearest road. You should be okay. <laughs> All right. Well, joining us from Bentonville, Arkansas, is Marley Blonsky, a bike adventurer and advocate for inclusive cycling communities. Marley got her start riding and advocating in Seattle, where she worked on some of the city's first protected bike lanes about eight years ago. She is comfortable on all sorts of bikes. She rides gravel. She bike packs. She leads no-drop rides where nobody gets left behind. And Marley is the co-founder of All Bodies on Bikes, which aims to help people of all sizes and abilities to get out and enjoy riding. Marley Blonsky, welcome to the War on Cars. Thank you. Proud to be a soldier in this war. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. I follow you on Instagram and elsewhere, and uh, I'm really excited to have you here. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. First of all, maybe you could just start out and tell us the story of how All Bodies on Bikes became a thing and what it is exactly that the group does, how it works, all of that. Sure. So All Bodies on Bikes, at its core, is a movement to empower folks to have joyful movement on a bicycle, regardless of your size or your perceived fitness level or how you fit into the typical bike culture. And this started actually with my own frustration of not being able to find a rain jacket. I was riding around Seattle, I was going on all sorts of bike trips, and didn't have proper clothing. I'm a larger woman. I identify as fat. I use it as a neutral descriptor and we can chat about that if you want to. <laughs> uh, but as a fat woman, finding cycling clothing is really hard. In the summer of 2018, I was farting around on Instagram and I saw my co-founder, Kaylee Kornhauser. She was on a bike ride across Alaska. She made a post about not having a rain jacket. And I was like, oh, we need to connect. So we started chatting, started doing workshops about size inclusion in the bicycling world, not just about clothing, but 
you know, getting left behind on group rides or microaggressions that people would say to us. And it really hit a nerve within the bike industry. And we got contacted by a filmmaker who said, we want to tell your story. You know, this is really rad that you guys are going out and doing all these adventures and advocating. So he pitched it to Shimano. Shimano took the bait and we made a film. It came out in spring of 2021. And that's when All Bodies on Bikes was really born. Kaylee and I had been doing this advocacy work for years without, you know, any structure or name. It was really just something that we cared deeply about. And then once Shimano said, yeah, this is something we care about, it really turned into a movement. And now it's my full-time job. So we do a couple different things. I think the most fun thing is we lead inclusive no-drop rides and kind of demonstrate how that's done. And then other communities can pick up on that. We do a lot of consulting work, both with local advocacy groups and ride clubs on how to be more inclusive, but then also with the bike industry on why it matters that they make bigger clothes and stronger bike frames and, you know, removing barriers to people in larger bodies on bikes. And then we have an online community. So we've got a really strong Facebook group. Facebook is often a cesspool of awful. And somehow we've built this like maybe seven or 8,000 person strong Facebook group where it's just like oozing positivity. People are posting about their rides or asking for advice and it's just a really intentional place. So this fall, we're opening up chapters. So we're just gonna continue to grow this and get more and more folks onto bikes who hopefully haven't seen themselves represented before. I love this origin story. It's like your superhero origin story begins with the quest to find a, a raincoat. Marley, there's so much in there that you talked about that I think we want to kind of unpack, and it's part of the reason why we had you here. So let's take a break, and we'll talk about it. Seems it seems like Sounds no matter good. where you live these days, the weather is completely unpredictable. But with Cleverhood, there's no need to worry about a sudden downpour stopping you from getting around your neighborhood and looking good. I have a stylish Rover rain cape in red. I also have the new official War on Cars Anorak in yellow. I usually stash one in my bag, so when I'm walking or I'm biking and the weather looks iffy, I'm ready to break it out at the first sign of rain. Listeners of The War on Cars can be ready for anything and save 20% on everything in the Cleverhood store. Just go to cleverhood.com slash waroncars and enter code WEATHERPROOF to get your discount. Stay dry, be ready, and look good with Cleverhood. So Marley, you self-identify as a fat cyclist, and um, I too uh, am a fat cyclist, unlike my my marathon-running co-hosts, Doug and Sarah here. You know, it's interesting. I, I don't think I would ever call myself a fat cyclist. And so, we're, you know, I'm curious, like, how you came to put those two words together and, and what it means to you. Sure. I use fat as a neutral descriptor. Just like I'm 5'2", I wear glasses, I'm Jewish, I'm fat. <laughs> Basically, it you know, it came from listening to other fat activists and fat scholars. And the reason why I put those two words together is it's my everyday lived experience. You know, when people stop me on the street and say, wow, I can't believe you're doing that. Or, oh my gosh, what clothing are you wearing? I'm looking for plus size cycling shorts as well. You know, when I'm looking for a new bike, I have to make sure that I'm not over the weight requirements. Being a larger bodied person is really a part of my everyday lived experience. And so... I don't divorce the two. They, they go hand in hand. That's why I use it. 
Yeah, so so I can stop calling myself a cyclist of gravitas. <laughs> you can call yourself whatever you want. Right. Uh, I really believe in the power of words, um, and they only have the power that we give them. So. But Aaron, I would even say that, like you said something there, and I've really tried to educate myself on this subject. And Marley, you've been a big big factor in this for me, um, equating uh, fitness with body size, right? Like there are skinny marathoners who are absolutely unhealthy <laughs> right they they have eating disorders they have all sorts of body issues and there are marathoners of larger sizes who will kick your ass right and who are completely fit and so i think part of why we wanted to have marley on is to talk about separating the idea of body size from fitness 100 percent. we've all grown up in a society where those words are married to each other you know fat fitness obesity these are all things that kind of like link up in our culture. But the work that Marley does and other people that I think we all listen to, I'm thinking of the Maintenance Phase podcast we had Michael Hobbs on, you know, has done really great work to separate these words out. And Marley, like you said, um, neutralize them, make the words just descriptors. So, you know, on that note, I wanted to talk about the, the O word, obesity, it's a word that is often thrown into the benefits, quote unquote, of cycling. You know, it'll address our obesity crisis or whatever that is. Could we talk about like why that's so problematic in cycling advocacy messaging? I'll do my best on this. And I think it all comes back to separating riding bikes for fitness and riding bikes for pleasure or an enjoyment or transportation. You know, I think often for people in larger bodies, and you'll notice I use that word instead of calling everybody a fat person, because not everybody identifies that way. So people sometimes get mad at me when I use the word fat too generally. But yeah, I think separating those two and real saying, you know, people can ride bikes for any reason they want to, and I want to empower them to do it. Um, speaking of, you know, the O word, I do consider it a slur from the learnings that I've gotten from other folks like maintenance phase. I've been morbidly obese my entire life. I'm not dead yet. You know, I just rode 50 miles in Vermont. That was super, super hilly. But also at the same time, if you're not riding bikes and you're not out moving your body, that's also fine. It's not my job or anybody else's job to tell you how to live your life. Yeah, and I, I think that there's been an unfortunate tendency in the bike advocacy community to conflate health and slimness and biking as, you know, like part of the benefits of biking as much as reducing carbon emissions or something like that. It's like, oh, this is a public health thing because we're going to make people skinnier from biking. And I think that's so dangerous and, and it's so great to see you pushing back on it. I mean, I've been riding bikes for eight years and then also as a kid and my body hasn't really changed. Um, you know, there's so many reasons why our bodies are the shape and size that they are genetics or generational trauma, or, you know, there's many smarter people than me who know all this stuff. And I just read it and try and spit it back out, but I could ride my bike all day, every day, and I will still be a larger bodied person. That's just <laughs> how I'm built. Right. And I mean, this whole idea that the bike is a tool for fitness, I find is also really in some ways limits our ability to think of the bike as a tool for just simply transportation and getting around town. I mean, when you turn the bike into a fitness tool, it actually makes it sound and seem like 
oh, God, you know, something onerous, like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm getting on my bike, I'm getting exercise. Whereas I know for me personally, very often I am getting on my bike because it's actually the easiest way to get around. It's like I'm getting on my bike almost because I'm lazy. Yeah, I, I told somebody that the other day. I was like, I'm a lazy person. Like there's a store <laughs> three blocks from me. And given the choice, I will ride my bike there because it's easier. Right. I have this knee injury right now and walking hurts, but riding my bike doesn't. So yeah, I think for a lot of folks, biking can be a mobility tool. And if health or like, you know, increased fitness is a byproduct of that, or if that's why you're riding a bike, awesome. But it doesn't have to be. And actually, I think that's a really interesting point that you make about having an injury and bicycling be easier than walking because you often hear, well, people with disabilities can't use bicycles, so we shouldn't make room for them. And you know, I was just in France a few weeks ago and, you know, I saw a woman riding a bike. She had an oxygen cannula in her nose. She was on oxygen, but she was able to ride a bike. You know, why can't we embrace that and understand that bicycling can actually be a good option for people who have some mobility issues better than than walking sometimes or better than driving? So, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's really important to to mention. Yeah, 100 percent. I've got a good friend. Her name is Meg Fisher, and she's actually a professional paracyclist. But she talks about her bike is actually a wheelchair because you're sitting on it and it's got wheels. You know, she also talks about how it's a whole lot easier because she uses a prosthetic leg to ride a bike than it is to walk sometimes. Yeah, they're amazing tools. So, uh, Marley, so I, I've been doing some consulting with uh, a group and they're talking about the benefits of cycling and, and the O word was placed in some of the materials that they were publishing. And I said, no, no, take, take it out. Like, how would you describe the benefits of cycling for advocacy groups that want to make the pitch to cities or to elected officials that there are all these benefits of cycling? We've talked about some of them, but like if you saw that word in a draft of materials that a city was putting out, what would you suggest instead? I tend to go for like a progress, not perfection mentality. And it's, it, it's easy to get mad about these things, but I like to dig in with conversation and say, hey, what are the other benefits we can talk about? You know, it's easier to find parking. It's easier to, um, I don't know, say hi to your neighbors and your friends and be involved in the community. So I tend to take a non-combative approach. So I'm like, okay, if there's a better, less polarizing way to talk about the benefits of bikes, like even if it's just joy, um, Let's do that instead. Yeah, I think it's so helpful, too, because I think if you focus on congestion, carbon emissions, you know, general quality of life, then you're putting the, the onus where it belongs, which is on the, the system makers yeah. to change the system. And then and that it helps us remove body size, especially from this idea of like a personal failing when, like you said, it's genetics. It's like a 100 other factors. I really appreciate that aspect of your work of like challenging that language at every step. Thank you. Yeah. And I also like what you're saying about the positive approach and and really trying to engage people in a positive way and the way that that kind of positive energy can move things forward instead of getting them stuck in arguments or bad feelings. Um, but there are times when things that happen are really tough and you can't just smile your way through them. And I think you had an incident happen recently on the ride that you were referencing, this big 50-mile ride you did in Vermont, lots of hills, very 
challenging ride for anybody and for you in particular. It was, I think you said it was like pretty much the biggest ride you've ever done. And you had a really negative experience on that ride. You had talked about it on your Instagram story. Uh, so a bunch of the longer courses caught up to me. And <laughs> I just had maybe the most condescending thing said to me that's ever been said. This <laughs> very thin woman rode by me and said, good job, at least you're not on the couch. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. It was like exactly what I didn't want to hear right now. Oh, jeez. You know, I really like to give people the benefit of the doubt and trust that their intentions are good. But this one, I just couldn't. You know, a lot of times folks will ride by me and be like, hey, great job, or you're almost there. And even those irk at me a little bit because it's like, would you say that to a person in a smaller body who was also struggling up this hill? But that one in particular just really got at me. And then I had like, you know, a couple trolls come at me on my Instagram. And that comes with being a public figure with 25,000 followers. People always have something to say. And usually I just block, ignore, delete, whatever. But for some reason, like, it really got to me. Um, I think maybe because I was struggling and really wanted to be on the couch. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like, I wish I was on the couch, lady. Right. Couches are great. (laughs) Yeah. Nothing wrong with a little couch time. No. I'll be honest, like, I think I've been running myself a little ragged this summer in terms of events and obligations, and I was just at a point of exhaustion, so it hit me more personally than it normally does, but with some rest and some food uh, and just kind of taking a step back and then seeing, you know, kind of the outpouring of support from folks. I'm over it. It's that lady's problem. It's not mine. Yeah, but I think that, I, I mean, I'm really glad that you did that though, that you reacted publicly to it. I really related to it. I have had many moments like that on long rides, uh, on rides around town, people saying stuff to me about, you know, assuming things about my ability. I have been in a larger body at other times in my life than I am right this second. And so that's another thing that I think that we don't always know about other people, what they're carrying in their heads about their own physical ability, what their physical history is, what their psychic history is around their bodies. Like we don't know those things about other people, which is why I think that your emphasis on really being respectful of other people's experience and the way they want to talk about what they're doing is so important and and valuable. So I'm really glad that you that you had, a, you know, a little bit of an outburst about that because because it, it it felt really real and it felt really important. And I think it's something that so many of us have stuffed down inside of us at one point or another. And so for you to be able to, to voice that for people, I think was really important. Thanks. I think it also raised a really good conversation on my Twitter um, about, well, what should I say to other people? You know, if I'm riding along and I pass somebody... A couple of folks were like, what is appropriate to say? And I think that's a great conversation to have because it's not like you want to be out there not talking to people, but I always recommend, you know, make it about the experience. You're both climbing that hill together. You can say something, hey, this hill sucks or <laughs> what a great day for a ride or, you know, there's so many different things that you can say that don't make it about the specific person you're passing. And that's just what I would encourage folks to do. Like I'm not telling you to go out there and be antisocial or not talk to people. 
So, Marley, you recently moved from Seattle, Washington, to Bentonville, Arkansas. Tell us a little bit about why you made that move and what what that's been like. Yeah. So, I mean, the really basic reason is I was priced out of Seattle. After I quit my corporate job um, about a year ago, I have been freelancing and doing all bodies on bikes and consulting work. And my income is like probably a third of what it was when I was working corporate America. So just not affordable. Um, I made a list of, you know, qualities that I wanted in a potential home and, you know, strong bike community was at the top of the list, access to outdoors, affordability. And so I narrowed it down to Portland, Minneapolis, and Kansas City. And was like dead set on one of those. And then one night I was farting around on the internet and found this website where all these kind of small towns are incentivizing people to move there and came across Northwest Arkansas, applied for it, and I got a $10,000 grant. So I was like, well, I'm moving regardless. The grant only requires me to stay here for a year. I'll try it out. And I've fallen in love with this place. It's like a Disneyland for bicycles. So part of the incentive is that they offer a free bike, right? But I, I think you didn't take that. I Like I said, I lurk and follow you on Instagram, <laughs> so I know these stories. Yeah. But tell our audience. Yeah, so they, as part of the incentive, you get $10,000, and then um, I think it's like $600 credit towards a bike. Um, I'm a sponsored rider, so it didn't make sense for me to take that money for a bicycle. But instead, I got a membership to one of the cultural uh, institutions around here. So that's been really cool. So you call it a Disneyland for bicycles, like... Oh my gosh. I want to hear more. I've never been to Bentonville. I don't know. That is just absolutely surprising to me. So maybe you could expand on that. What what makes it so great? <laughs> it's it's a funny story. It's kind of a company town for Walmart. So Walmart headquarters are here. The Walmart family, the Waltons, love bicycles. So they have invested, I don't even know how much money, into trails and museums and just bike amenities. So it's like Anywhere you go around town, there's a repair stand or there's like a kid's bike park or you turn a corner and there's a coffee shop in the middle of a mountain bike preserve. So it's like anything you could think of that would make a bicycle town, we've got um, kind of. Um, and I say kind of because it's very focused right now on recreational use. So there's tons of mountain bike trails and greenways, but there's not a lot of infrastructure in the city. We just got our first protected bike lane and there's a lot of talk around active transportation, but at the same time, they're building like four new parking garages. So Bentonville is growing like crazy and it's really at this nexus point of, are we gonna be a bike friendly city or are we gonna continue to be really car centric? So that's really what I'm hoping to get involved with here is working on more active transportation stuff and actually connecting the trails to businesses because that doesn't exist right now. Have you actually run into these Walmart heirs who are into biking? Like, are they active on the advocacy scene? Because that would probably be amazing if they were. They they are. It's a funny story. So in January, there was a big cyclocross race down here. And thanks to Shimano, one of my sponsors, I was in the VIP area. And I just started talking to this guy next to me like, oh, did you see the helicopter that flew in with the bikes on the side of it? You know, I heard that it was Tom Walton. And he was like, hey, I'm Tom. <laughs> I was like, oh, cool. Glad I didn't really say anything bad. I was going to say, <laughs> glad you didn't keep that conversation going just right. a little longer before he identified himself. Yeah. Um, no, but then I've also run into them, you know, at coffee shops around town. And they have kind of an overarching group that works on aviation and hospitality and recreation. And they have somebody who works on 
active transportation, which got an email the other day. They're setting up a stakeholders meeting um, to really get this going. So I don't know if they themselves are actually involved in the advocacy, but they definitely have people on their team that are working on it. You know, you mentioned your sponsorship by Shimano and and you have other sponsorships as well. We were not going to go through every one of them, but Pearl Izumi, Cannondale, I mean, you know, big names, big corporations. What do you think those kinds of sponsorships say about where we are right now in terms of big brands that drive big changes in the marketplace, accepting all bodies on bikes, you know, yeah. and go and going after that as a market segment really intentionally? I think it's more of a recognition that normal people ride bikes and supporting I don't know how to say this, but in quotes, but like normal athletes. So like I'm considered a sponsored athlete, but I'm a very mediocre cyclist. Like it took me six hours to ride 48 miles the other day. But I think it's a recognition that by supporting folks like us, it gets more people onto bikes because they see themselves represented. You know, they average size woman in the U.S. wears a size 18 and they see that they're just leaving billions of dollars on the table and are excited to work on it. So I think it, it shows that there's a real influx And there's a couple other really cool examples of people just like me who are getting sponsored and who are able to make a living out of doing this advocacy work, thanks to brands like that. Wait, okay. I want to roll it back and talk about Bentonville for a little bit because I've been there and I really liked it when I was there. I was there for a weekend, so I can't really make like sweeping judgments of it. But I rode the trails. They were great. I went to the Crystal Bridges Museum, which was really lovely and bike accessible. It's like right off the trail. What I think is really interesting is that We argue a lot in bike advocacy circles about a top-down approach versus a community-driven approach. And here you basically have, like, the Medici family, you know, like, doling out money to bike artists in Bentonville and imposing their will, so to speak, on the community to great effect. This is a good way for the Waltons to use their many, many, many millions of dollars, even if it is problematic, like, you know, Thank God they weren't really into muscle cars and just decided that Bentonville should be the muscle car capital of the United States. So, like, I think it opens up a really interesting question of, like, the best way to do things. You know, do you have a top-down imposed system, you know, where, like, a strong mayor like a Mike Bloomberg launches City Bike or something like that, or a bottom-up community-driven process that gets—it's messy, right? That's, like, more democratic, but it's messy. How, how do we apply this model in Bentonville— to other cities, and should we apply it to other cities? Yeah, so I think one really important point to make is that a lot of this is happening, yes, because of the Waltons, but also Walmart as a company. They're building this brand new campus. So right now, if you're in Bentonville, there's like Walmart buildings scattered all over town, and they're consolidating all of them into one central campus. And as part of that, they have a mode shift goal. So they want at least 10% of their staff to commute by bicycle. Um, and they recognize to make that happen, there's got to be bike lanes, there's got to be safe infrastructure. So, you know, I don't know if that's the answer. I think getting businesses on board is huge because, you know, you can incentivize your workers, you can do all sorts of things. But it's also interesting coming from Seattle where it is messy, but it is kind of nice. I'm not going to lie <laughs> to live somewhere where a bike lane just shows right. up. There's not endless processes forever and ever and ever. It's like, hmm, like benign corporate feudalism versus democracy. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. But I will also add that, you know, the way that Walmart or the way that Bentonville is changing is pricing out so many people. 
you know, so much affordable housing is gone to Airbnbs because they are trying to make this the mountain bike capital of the world or of the U.S. And so it's becoming kind of a ski resort feel where the local folks can't really afford to live here. I was just looking on Zillow today and there's a house very similar to mine. I rent, but a house on a quarter acre, it's going for $1.2 million. It was built in the 40s. It's a teardown house for $1.2 million. So who knows how long I'll be able to live here for. But, you know, I think there's pros and cons to both of them for sure. Well, it worked on me when I was there because as soon as I left, I was like, I can't, I got to figure out a way to come back because I, <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Like the biking around there really is, is great. It really is. Um, and, you know, even without specific bike lanes and infrastructure, it is a small enough town that most of the drivers are pretty dang respectful. So growing city, of course, and lots of opportunities. I'm interested in the gender dynamics of your work. Uh, just, I'm, I'm just curious to know how the issue of having a bigger body and being on a bicycle is different, if it is, for women, uh, for people who identify as women, for people who identify as men, and, and for non-binary people. Do you hear different stories from people with different gender identities about being bigger bodied on a bike? I do. And this is definitely a place where I've got room for improvement in my own work. You know, I identify as a cisgendered woman and I think the hardest thing is finding clothes, but I think I've been able to find community. There's a lot of other large bodied women who ride bikes, who have felt excluded, who haven't really felt like they fit into the norm of what a cyclist is. I'm also starting to hear from a lot more large bodied men. Often they're able to find clothing. You know, I think men's clothing in general runs a little bit bigger. You know, they might make a double XL that stretches to fit a bigger body. Um, but I think there's a different issue that happens with men. And this is just what I've heard from folks who have talked to me of finding community or, you know, just the assumption that they're also out there to lose weight or that they're beginners and finding community, I think is, is harder for men, um, in bigger bodies. And maybe it's because men don't really talk about it. You know, as women, we are often talking about our body sizes and, you know, the things that we've done to try and change our bodies. And that conversation is kind of just starting to get over to the the male identified side of things. That's interesting. Aaron, you you can be you can help to make those conversations. That's happen. right. With my with my gravitas. Yeah, I'd love to hear your perspective. Oh you know, I've always kind of been a big dude. Um you know, my weight fluctuates. I don't know, I guess it's not really like something I see as super part of my identity. Um, so it's really not, it's kind of, I think it's what you're saying. It's, it's really not like an omnipresent kind of part of my identity. I don't have trouble finding clothes. Um, yeah. So I'm not really experiencing this in the same way that you are, it sounds like. Yeah. And, and it's really interesting, Marley, because I've had a lot of different sizes of my body over the years and I have experienced that stuff on a bike and I do think that people in general feel much more free to comment about women's bodies in public. Um, and women are extremely susceptible to any remarks about their bodies because we've just been conditioned so hard from day one uh, of our lives. So, you know, I really appreciate the work you do from a feminist perspective, even though I understand it's not only or not exclusively feminist work, but I think that actually the awareness that women have of their bodies and the 
pernicious stereotypes that attach to bodies, women's awareness of that can be really helpful and liberating to people who identify as whatever gender, right? That because, you know, cisgender women have been thinking about this. We we all have had that conversation ad infinitum for our whole lives. <laughs> totally. And getting back to something I said earlier about, you know, our Facebook community, we make explicit rules in those communities and in the all bodies on bike spaces that it's a weight neutral space. We're not talking about dieting. We're not talking about weight loss. We're not talking about food necessarily. You know, it, it can be kind of a slippery slope because riding a bike or taking on athletic pursuits like a 48 mile bike ride, you got to fuel yourself. So I think it's okay to talk about food as fuel, food as tasting good, but we are very intentional about making it a, a space where we're not talking about our bodies in a negative way. No, I mean, I think the work you do is so important and separating out health from appearance is crucial because like Sarah said, you don't know from walking down the street what health issues people have, how much activity they're getting, and their body size has pretty much nothing to do <laughs> with that at all. I think the work you're doing is is hugely important. I hope more bike advocacy groups, walkability groups, anybody working to make spaces more accessible to people really takes heed and listens to, just follows you on Instagram. I, I've learned a lot just sort of reading you and and, and listening to you over the last couple of years. Thank you. I feel like that should come with an asterisk of like, it's a pretty uncensored account. So you might get me just being really goofy on a Friday night with my friends. But that's good, isn't it? Right? Because <laughs> I, think so. like, I feel like, I mean, I feel like any marginalized group censors themselves all the time. Yeah. Right. And I think you need those people who are just saying like, screw that. I'm going to tell you completely unfiltered what I think. Totally. And just showing my regular life, just having fun on, on a bike, you know, riding around my cargo bike with my dogs just being normal. And I think this is something you guys do really well is normalizing a non-car centric lifestyle. Marley Blonsky, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing everything that you're learning and doing. Thank you. Great conversation, guys. Yeah, super interesting, Marley. We'll put some links in the show notes so you can find out much more about Marley and All Bodies on Bikes and the work that they do. If you want to support The War on Cars, go to thewaroncars.org, click support us, and join today starting at just $3 per month. You'll get access to exclusive bonus content, and we'll send you stickers. And thanks to everyone who has already signed up on Patreon, including our top supporters, Charlie G. of Human Powered Law in Portland, Oregon, the Law Office of Vaccaro and White in New York City, Virginia Baker, James Doyle, and Martin Mignot. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Cleverhood. Go to cleverhood.com slash war on cars. You can enjoy 20% off everything on their website using the code weatherproof. And that includes the new war on cars Anorak. We also want to thank our sponsor, Rad Power Bikes. Find out how exciting life can be on an electric bicycle by going to radpowerbikes.com slash war on cars. And hey, we've got some pretty awesome new merchandise in our war on cars store, specifically for kids. It is the one less car seat line of of kids shirts and onesies. You know, your your toddler can't really talk yet, but they can still send a message. So go check it out. And you can brainwash your children. It's great. <laughs> Let your children brainwash the other children. This episode was recorded by Josh Wilcox at the Brooklyn Podcasting Studio. It was edited by Yesenia Moreno. Our music is by Nathaniel Goodyear. Our logo is by Danny Finkel of Crucial D Designs. I'm Doug Gordon. I'm Aaron Napperstack. I'm Sarah Goodyear. 
And this is the War on Cars.